Good day, my friends, and welcome to another moment. Yes, I'm back with another Black History Moment with Bo. And I hope today will be a great day for you. I hope the car is washed, the bills are paid, and love is flowing through your household. It just amazes me that this year is almost half over. And Juneteenth is once again upon us. You know, one of my favorite pastimes when I lived in Ohio in June was riding a bicycle. And I have been riding a bicycle all of my life. And when I lived in Delaware, Ohio, we had a little team and we all rode together and challenged other riders. I'm telling you this to tell you about the story I'm about to lead into. One day while we were riding, a group of black riders passed us and they were traveling so fast and they were so in unison in their, in their drafting. It's like their tires was less than an inch apart. When we stopped, I asked one of the riders on our team, who the heck was that? And he told me that was Major Taylor's team out of Indianapolis. And that was the first time I had ever heard of him. But it wouldn't be the last time that I would think about these great riders. So today, I'm going to go back into the darkness and I'm going to pull out the story of Major Taylor. One I think you will find interesting and one that will make you feel good. So let's slip on into darkness and talk about this homeboy from Indianapolis. Major Taylor was America's first black sports superstar. I know a lot of people know the inspiring stories of Jackie Robinson, who broke through Major League Baseball's color barrier in 1947, and Jesse Owens, the Ohio State runner who ran roughshod over Adolf Hitler's notions of Aryan supremacy in the 1936 Berlin Olympics. Perhaps even that of Jack Johnson, the boxing great who unapologetically defied the Jim Crow norms of early 20th century America. But still, the world is just now catching on to the breathtaking accomplishments of Marshall Major Taylor. And he was the black bicycle racing sensation who became a world champion a decade before Johnson. And he captivated the audience in a still segregated nation when the sport was reaching new heights in popularity. Now, little is known about Major Taylor's mother, but he was born on the outskirts of Indianapolis, Indiana, and his father was a poor Civil War veteran. And when Taylor was about eight years old, his father got a job with a wealthy white family named the Southerns. Taylor quickly became best friends with their son, Dan. 
to the point where he was living with the family and enjoying access to tutoring and gifts like a brand new bicycle. But tomorrow is never promised, and the Southerns moved to Chicago when Taylor was about 13. And what that did was pulled him back into a life of poverty. He still had the bicycle, however, and after showing a bike store owner the tricks he had learned, the teenager was hired to put on a show outside the store in a military uniform, giving rise to the nickname that would stick, Major. Outside the public library in Worcester, Massachusetts, stands a 10-foot-tall sculpture wall which on one side features a bronze statue of a man standing next to his bike. This is not just any man, however. This is Marshall Walter Major Taylor, the sporting pioneer who broke boundaries in cycling to become the fastest man in the world in his prime, winning titles and shattering records. Now, what you must understand, my friends, is that at the dawn of the 20th century, cycling was the most popular sport in America and Europe, with tens of thousands of spectators drawn to arenas to see highly dangerous and even deadly affairs that bore little semblance to bicycle racing today. In brutal six-day races of endurance, well-paid competitors often turn to cocaine, strychnine, and nitroglycerin for stimulation and suffered from sleep deprivation, delusion, and hallucinations, uh, along with the falls from their bicycles. In a motor pace of racing, cyclists would draft behind motorcycles, reaching speeds of 60 miles per hour. On cement bank tracks where blown bicycle tires routinely led to spectacular crashes and deaths. But out of this curious and sordid world, Marshall Taylor was just a teenager when he turned professional and began winning races on the world stage. And President Theodore Roosevelt became one of his greatest admirers. And it was not Taylor's youth that Cycle fans first noticed when he edged his wheels to the starting line. Nicknamed the Black Cyclone, he would burst to fame as the world champion of a sport almost a decade before African-American heavyweight Jack Johnson won his world title. But as with Johnson, Taylor's crossing the color line was not without complication, especially in the United States, where he often had no choice but to ride ahead of his white competitors to avoid being pulled or jolted from his bicycle at high speeds. So they would attack him on the track. Remember I told you about the, the man that hired Taylor to put on a military uniform and ride in front of his store to promote customers? Well, he had a bicycle shop. And to further promote the store, one of shop's owners, Tom Hay, entered Taylor in a 10-mile bicycle race, something the cyclist had never seen before. And he told Taylor, I know you can't go the full distance, he said, but just ride up the road a little ways to please the crowd and you can come back as soon as you get tired. At the sound of the crack of the starter's pistol, it signaled the beginning of an unprecedented career in bicycle racing. 
Major Taylor pushed his legs beyond anything he'd imagined himself capable and finished six seconds ahead of anyone else. There he collapsed and fell in a heap in the roadway. But he soon had a gold medal pinned to his chest. He began competing in races across the Midwest while he was still 13. His cycle proudness earned him a notice in the New York Times, which made no mention of his youth. By the 1890s, America was experiencing a bicycle boom, and Taylor continued to work for the store, mostly giving riding lessons. And while white promoters allowed him to compete in trick riding competitions and races, Taylor was kept from joining any of the local riding clubs and many white cyclists were less than welcoming to the black phenomena. In August 1896, Taylor's friend and new mentor, who owned the Worcester Cycle Manufacturing Company in Massachusetts, signed him up for an event and smuggled him into a whites-only races at the Capital City Cycling Club in Indianapolis. He couldn't officially compete against the professionals, but his time could certainly be measured. Now, not all of the racers were bad. Some of the racers were friendly with Taylor's and had no problem pacing him on tandem bicycles for a time trial. In his first heat, he knocked more than eight seconds off the mile track record and the crowd roaring when they learned of his time. After a rest, he came back onto the track to see what he could do in the one-fifth mile race. The crowd tensed as Taylor reached the starting line. Stop watches were pulled from pockets. He exploded around the track and at the age of 17, knocked two-fifths of a second off of the world record held by professional racer Ray McDonald. Unfortunately, because of Jim Crow, Taylor's time could not be turned in for official recognition, but everyone in attendance knew what they had seen. Major Taylor was a force on two wheels. Still, the stunt of sneaking him into the race was not looked upon favorably, and he was quickly banned from the Indianapolis track. But at that point, it didn't matter because Taylor was on his way. And later in 1896, he finished eighth in his first six-day race at Madison Square Garden, even though the hallucinations got to him. And at one point, he said, I cannot go on safely, for there's a man chasing me around the ring with a knife in his hand. Now, Taylor's friend, Louis Munger, who owned the Worcester Cycle Manufacturing Company, was keen to establish his own racing team with the Black Cyclone as its star. So he took Taylor to Worcester and put him to work for his company. Unfortunately, he was in Massachusetts when his mother died in 1898. And that led Taylor to seek baptism and become a devoted member of the John Street Baptist Church in Worcester. Now, it's a fact that before his teenage years ended, Taylor became a professional racer with seven world records to his name. 
and he won 29 of the 49 races he entered. And in 1899, he captured the world championship of cycling. And Major Taylor was just the second black athlete to become a world champion. Behind Canadian bantamweight George Little Chocolate Dixon, who had won his title a decade before. Now, Taylor's victory earned him tremendous fame, but he was still barred from races in the South. And even when he was allowed to ride, plenty of white competitors either refused to ride with him or worked to jostle or shove him or box him in. All the time while spectators threw ice and nails at him. At the end of a one-miler in Massachusetts, W.E. Becker, who was upset at finishing behind Taylor, rode up behind him afterwards and pulled him to the ground. Becker choked him into a state of insensibility, the New York Times reported, and the police were obligated to interfere. It was a full 15 minutes before Taylor recovered consciousness and the crowd was very threatening toward Becker. Becker would be fined $50 for the assault. And that's when Mugger and his other friends decided Taylor would be better off racing in Europe, where some of the strongest riders in the world were competing, and where a black athlete could ride without fear of racially motivated violence. His advisors tried to persuade him to leave, but Taylor would have no part of it. The prestigious French events held races on Sundays, and Taylor's religious convictions prevented him from competing on the Sabbath. Never on Sunday, he said. But still, the money. The money to be made overseas was a strong lure, and the European promoters were eager to hire the black cyclone to their tracks. So what did they do? (laughs) Their promoters shifted events from Sundays to French national holidays to accommodate the American. And in 1902, Taylor finally competed on the European tour and dominated it, winning the majority of races he entered and cementing his reputation as the fastest cyclist in the world. He also married Daisy Morris that year and he continued to travel. When he and Daisy had a daughter in 1904, they named her Rita Sidney after the city in Australia where she was born. And he raced for the rest of the decade, reportedly earning $30,000 a year, making him one of the wealthiest athletes of his day, black or white. But with the automobile soon becoming popular, interest in cycling began to fall off. Taylor, feeling the effects of age on his legs, retired in 1910 at the age of 32. A string of bad investments coupled with the Wall Street crash in 1929 wiped out all of his earnings. His marriage crumpled and he became sickly. After six years of writing his autobiography, The Fastest Bicycle Rider in the World, He self-published it in 1929 and spent the last years of his life selling the book Door to Door in Chicago. I felt I had my day, he wrote, and a wonderful day it was, too. 
Yet when he died in 1932, at the age of 53, his body lay unclaimed in a morgue, and he was burned in a pauper's grave at the Mount Glenwood Cemetery in Chicago. When they learned where Major Taylor's gravesite was, some former racing stars and members of the Old Timers Athletic Club of the South Wabash Avenue YMCA persuaded Frank Swin, owner of the Swin Bicycle Company, to pay to have Taylor's remains exhumed and transferred to a more fitting location, the Cemetery Memorial Garden of the Good Shepherd. There, a bronze pallet reads, World's champion bicycle racer who came up the hard way. Without hatred in his heart, an honest, courageous, and God-fearing, clean-living, gentlemanly athlete, a credit to his race, who always gave out his best. Gone but not forgotten. Another one of our black heroes, my friend. A world champion. Yes, he's gone, but he surely won't be forgotten. Remember I told you about the team of racers that passed me one day as we were riding? It was not long after that in my travels that I came across Major Taylor's racetrack in Indianapolis, Indiana. And every time I would pass that track, On I-465 around Indianapolis, I would think about Major Taylor. And with a smile on my face, I would give thanks to him for the things that he has done for us. Rest in peace, my brother. Rest in peace. Because your story is out here now. And I hope all the future bicycle riders in the world will listen to it. And learn from it. That music tells me that I gotta get out of here. As much as I hate to go, gotta go, gotta go, gotta go. But before I do, I've got to leave you with this message. Major Taylor was obsessed with riding a bicycle. And obsessed is the word used by the lazy to describe the dedicated. Have a great day, my friends. A great day. Until the next time I am in front of this mic. With my obsession, it has been my honor. <laughs>